Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight. Sleeves are too long. Something is always not right. For me, somebody tall guy, always something a little bit off with every single shirt. Well, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. Not only does Proper Cloth make it easy to create your own custom size, they make it really simple to completely customize your shirt and get the style you want. Want a bigger pocket or a bigger left cuff for your watch? Customize over 30 different style points to get the exact style you want or select from hundreds of pre-designed shirts. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers around the world, and they only buy fabrics that meet their high standard and quality expectations. Each one of their shirts go through, goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. All their styles come with a perfect fit guarantee, so if it doesn't fit, you can have it remade completely free. They have a great customer service team based in New York City that makes it super easy to get their shirts made. I went through Glenn. Glenn was terrific, very thorough very quick uh, in answering my questions. Proper cloth has been featured in many top publications such as New York times, wall street journal, Esquire, GQ, fast company. GQ even calls them their new favorite online custom shirt maker. Proper cloth shirts are completely custom made for you and start at just $80. So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with a quality that doesn't break your bank. If you love true crime podcasts, podcast one is the perfect destination. We've got two awesome true crime podcasts trending right now, and you have to check them out. First up, based on the iconic series on A&E, Cold Case Files explores some of the most difficult to solve murders, which stymied investigators and wet cold sometimes for decades. Next up, Copycat Killers is the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. Every episode takes you behind the scenes of real-life murder cases which copy memorable slangs seen in Hollywood movies. Check out both Cold Case Files and Copycat Killers. They're going to be your next favorite true crime podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps. On the January 9th edition of the PFF forecast, I am joined by PFF George as he is 7.06 a.m. in Vegas. We talk about how we're all Dallas Cowboys now. Um, we also ask, what are the Browns thinking and or doing? We rank, we rank the quarterbacks left in the tournament, read some mean tweets, and then talk about the games this weekend. Let's rock. What up, man? George, how's it going, man? You you sound a little hoarse when we first called you. Um, you, sound, you sound a little bit better now. Your immune system, that of a 29-year-old, 28-year-old uh, person, far better than mine. Uh, so you I, seem to have rebounded. I woke up um, about 6.40, so about 27 minutes ago. And when I did so, I felt exactly as you would expect to feel at my age having not really partied that hard in Vegas last night. I will say that I experienced DJ Snoop Dogg, uh, which I didn't know existed, uh, but he was actually a decent DJ and played some fun songs. And that is the reason I believe that my voice kind of sucks. Snoop so, loop as, as yeah. uh, uh, Will Ferrell would say um, he, he was, he was in the, he probably was on, on stage for an hour 
And that dude was out and probably back home in Los Angeles, unless he wanted to spend time in LA, uh, you know, in time to be tucked in nicely, uh, for bed. It was pretty impressive. So anyways, I am, uh, I'm staring at the strip right now. It's not really that vibrant. That but, sentence uh, could have gone a little bit differently if you <laughs> would have taken out the the and added an ER, but yep. <laughs> so I'm not on a roof anywhere, but, uh, yeah, my, my trip has gone well. I'm excited to finally talk to some, to someone rational about football. Cause that hasn't happened out here, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Well, now you've missed a, a watershed day in PFF history. Uh, while you've been gone, Mike McCarthy, our friend, friend of the program, friend of the, the company, uh, wa- right now. waxed poetic about, uh, PFF and his, and his time here during his gap year. Let's just call it a gap year, um, between coaching the, uh, Green Bay Packers and now the Dallas Cowboys. Um, we had the, you know, we obviously had the, the great fortune to meet him. Obviously the, the, the Peter King interview was terrific. It does seem like he has taken a, a very interesting, uh, approach to his gap year. Uh, and now, um, you know, we get a little bit of publicity from it. What do you think the, what do you think the biggest change in his, like in the output of his coaching, you know, like I think he talked a lot about his process, right? His process is going to be different, more efficient and better. I think that obviously will help him, but how does that manifest itself on the field is my big question. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing, and I think Neil talked about this with his interview, uh, that he had yesterday, there are smart people working for the Dallas Cowboys already, right? Uh, you know, we've met sure. a, a decent amount of them. They had had somebody who finished in the relatively high in the big data bowl that now works for the, it's sort of like this. I think with McCarthy, I think he's just going to listen to more people. Right. And we're going to see some of the, because honestly, like one of the big issues is not necessarily like employing these people. A lot of times, teams will employ analytics people just to sort of write it off and not want to be called an idiot. Right. But then it's actually implementing. I mean, the brilliance of the Ravens is that they literally implement all these things. Uh, the brilliance of the Eagles is that they implement those things. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest one. I think, you know, when you look at, you know, some of the, the things, obviously McCarthy was already pretty, uh, you know, uh, liberal on fourth down. I'm thinking more of like the play actions, the RPOs, the, the motions, all those things, that I tweeted about yesterday, don't take any additional talent, right? They just take, uh, you know, seeing these cheat codes and, and using them until the the rest of the league catches up. Yeah. I wonder about the fourth downs. Cause he, I mean, I think back to that Seattle game last year, or sorry, two years ago, last time he was coaching where, you know, with Aaron Rodgers uh, and a, a chance at the playoffs, he decided to, to punt instead of going for it, right. fourth and short. I believe it. If I remember correctly, it was a fourth and three. Yeah. And what I think is interesting, and this may align, this may line up for him perfectly, is the league is basically moving a yard back per season in terms of their willingness to go for it. I, I think we wrote something for Peter um, a few months ago about that, right? Like Doug Peterson changed fourth and ones. This year, it, it is not the fact that teams are going for it on fourth down necessarily, but that they're more willing to go for it on fourth and two. Yep. So he might get lucky in the sense that the league is going to move with him and he kind of has an opportunity to not have to feel like he's branching out. But I would tend to agree with you, right? The one thing that we all talked about with the Packers offense was how, I don't know, boring it was. Like they threw a lot, but they didn't throw anything super interesting. They weren't the Chiefs 
they weren't even the Cowboys of last year. So now he probably doesn't have, you know, he's got a quarterback who's probably going to be more a student than a, than a peer. And that I think will likely along with Kellen Moore, if he stays, allow that to happen, which I think would be cool. That's why I said, I think the Cowboys could legitimately have a chance to go to a Super Bowl because they have such a weak division. They have a quarterback if they lock him down um, and they have a great offense if they keep uh, Amari Cooper. So uh, I think it'll be cool. I'm excited for it. I really hope that all of the hype is not, you know, is not for, is not all for not. Yeah, for sure. And the the cool thing is, is you're, you're, he's from a position of strength. There's not, a, I mean, there are question marks about Dak and there are question marks about how Kellen Moore, you know, his offense will integrate and whether he'll even get to call plays because we know McCarthy, I think he let Tom Clement call plays for half of the year in 2015, which was really the start of the downfall for Rodgers. Um, and, you know, but he's really never relinquished that role other than that. And so the question becomes, you know, Moore was terrific this year. You get a little bit of regression. There were 30. I didn't even notice this until I, I helped uh, a friend uh, with some with a with a broadcast. The, the Cowboys were 32nd in our in our PFF special teams grades. They, you know, they're kick. They, they cycled through kickers. Um, obviously, there was the one in six in close games. Like all those things regress. And this Dallas Cowboys team is probably starting at ten and six, just bare minimum. And then, you know, the the question then becomes: Okay, you can't really improve much from being first in yards per play offensively, but can you at least stay in the top ten? Can you you know? Can you keep defenders around? Maybe you know. Here's another underrated thing about McCarthy when he was coaching you know in Green Bay. I know he didn't have you know, as much autonomy over the roster, but that team drafted corners after corner, after corner, after corner. Do they change their orientation towards Byron Jones now? Because, you know, that's really the most important piece on the, to keep on that defense. All those things are, I think, question marks when it's Garrett and, and Jones that are more, if you're a Dallas fan, the outcome might be more advantageous now that's McCarthy and Jones. That's interesting. I, I'm very interested to see what they do. Uh, with free agency. I'm, I'm fascinated about what happens with Amari Cooper to, to me. And I'm very curious your thought on this because you're a part of fan bases that are very passionate. So am I, but Dallas, I think the Zeke signing had as much to do with the fan base thinking that he was very important as anything else. And the fan base does not seem at least for my just, looking out on Twitter and listening to different talk shows and all of these things does not seem to think Amari Cooper is anywhere near as important as Ezekiel Elliott is. And certainly doesn't think that Byron Jones is that important. And so I am very curious to see how the Joneses are impacted by that and whether they are able to look at the value of those players, wide receiver being the second most valuable uh, position on the offense and say, actually, this is critical. You know, if we're going to compete mm-hmm. and we're going to win now, we need these guys on it to affect the passing game or whether that, you know what, we could get away without paying them because of our fans or don't really care. And we need to pay Dak and Dak has taken the next step. And so he'll be good enough to help us, you know, revive Jason Witten, Witten from the dead continually on third and short. I'm very interested by that. Yeah. I mean, we saw, we've seen this happen before, right? Where, you know, somebody like Chip Kelly comes in, 
and almost immediate or actually it was it was Doug Peterson comes in after Chip Kelly and almost immediately some of the the decisions that were made by previous regimes were immediately traded. You think about Byron Macbell, you think about Kiko Alonso, like they were gone, shown the door almost immediately. So there might be a chance that, you know, I'm not and Demarcus Lawrence played fine this year. Jalen Smith actually didn't. And but you you look at some of the previous investments that they've made, maybe the Cowboys just simply cut bait on those and you know, since they're still good players and other teams might value them more, they could get something in a trade. I don't know about the uh, the, the dead money there, but that's a great point. And it's something where if you look again at McCarthy's history, you know, he was considered he's top two in our play calling, you know, measurement for the first like four or five, six years of his time in Green Bay. You look at what felled that offense. Well, it started with Jordy Nelson's ACL injury in 2015. He was never really the same. He was decent in 2016, but ultimately, you know, James Jones kind of you know ran out of gas. Uh, Randall Cobb ran out of gas, and then the receivers that took over. Devonte Adams is a good number one, but he's not nearly as good as as you know the uh, the Jenningses and the drivers and the and the uh, uh, Jordys that they had. And so, does McCarthy learn from like I need a bona fide receiver to make this offense work, or you know, does he does he ignore that part? Because I think that that's as big of a problem with the Green Bay offense as before. I mean, Rodgers used to have three number one caliber receivers to throw to on every down, and now he's got one. And that's, you know, a huge contributor to his fall off. Uh, I think all of this is going to be just really fascinating yeah. to watch. It, it could, because I, I didn't bullish on the way it goes, but there are enough question marks this, in my opinion, was the best job for Mike McCarthy because he wants to have a situation where he can start to win um, immediately. But there are enough ways where it can be derailed that it's just going to be really fascinating to watch. And I'm I'm pretty excited. I, I well, think it will make the NFL a lot better next year. And, and just to close, his famous last words, of course, but the NFC East should be getting better, right? I mean, if you look at Washington, well, still where to go? They they hired they hired Ken Zampezi again, friend of the program, uh, along with Ron Rivera. Like they're and then they got rid of Bruce Allen. Like that that has to be that has to be a, an increase. They're getting the number two overall pick, which hopefully will either be a trade back or uh, a quarterback to compete with Dwayne Haskins. There's no way, but they're, they're taking yeah. Chase. Yeah, I mean Chase Young is totally a Ron Rivera guy, but. But it, like, uh, de- yeah, that You're team, right. I mean, it, that, that's not four free wins for that team anymore. Right. But like, and then Philadelphia, we, we all, we, we've shown our, you know, we, we love Doug Peterson. Obviously there are a lot of question marks about the age of their roster. Carson Wentz's ability to stay healthy, but like they should always sort of be a factor. And then the giants, like, you know, our wild card, Daniel Jones could be good. You know, Joe judge again, only God can judge that, uh, that move. But like, <laughs> You know that I, I think that that division will be harder, right? But if so good. but if you could, if you could, if if Dallas was playing in the same division as they played in this year with McCarthy and and the moves that I think he'll make, I over prop division prop those are all locks. I think next year it might not be as easy, but I still think they would be our probably our odds on favorite to win that division. Well, and just get a little more luck. I mean, Jason Garrett got as as much as he probably brought it on himself. Got unlucky. To a certain degree, um, you know, in, in just losing that many yeah, um, for sure. close games, and having an offense that was that good. You mentioned a couple of things that I thought were interesting. The first is Washington would be, I think, in, in an even better situation than New York to take Tua because people are way less hyped up on Dwayne Haskins. Yep. The, and they could probably, you know, get away with, hey, we're going to, you know, really let him get healthy type deal. 
they're not going to, but they should. And then secondarily, you mentioned Donald Driver. And do you think everyone knows the story of like Donald Driver's childhood? Has that one been beaten into the ground or is that one that people, not enough people know about? I don't, I actually am not, I don't, I'm not sure what you're referring to. So he, the, the story about stealing cars. Oh no. I guess when he was a kid, he had a really, a super rough childhood and he would, um, steal cars. And like <laughs> one of the stories is, is that he, um, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it was like, he stole a car and it was like some, it was like the car, like the car of like an older woman. And he had like a come to Jesus moment and like return the car. But he credits the punching through windows uh, with like a, and not damaging his hands as being the reason he was able to have such good hands in the NFL. Wow. I butchered that story like you would expect someone to do while, while, in Las Vegas. Well, describing a come to Jesus moment while in Vegas is a really tough task. And I think you did a pretty good job. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just saying it's an interesting story. You mentioned Donald driver. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, Let, let's talk briefly. So the Browns are clearly waiting for Saleh or, or Stefanski right now. Right. I mean, cause yeah, they have to be there. There's no reason. There's no reason to not take on Josh McDaniel, uh, Josh McDaniels or, um, you know, one of these other coaches, obviously Mark, you know, I can't, I don't think they interviewed Marvin Lewis, but like, uh, Jim Schwartz, those guys are freely available to be taken on right now. They probably would have, you know, by now had they gone through the interview process, all that kind of stuff. So they're really, I think, either holding out for Saleh or or Stefanski. Yes, that that would be my guess. Though I, it's very interesting to me that that Joe Judge got hired ahead of Josh McDaniel, uh, and I kind of thought the Browns would be trying to throw the kitchen sink at him um, and give him like an opportunity to pun intended. Of course, the <laughs> Freddie left the kitchen, left the sink. Yes. When he, yes, I think he, I think he took the oven and left the sink, yeah. um, <laughs> the microwave, uh, the toaster, uh, the fridge, everything, but the sink is still there and, and gave them an op- gave him an opportunity to sort of like build your own culture. But I also don't think that he, provides, and I think maybe one of the reasons he hasn't been hired is that he doesn't really have a, a big personality. He doesn't come off as an authoritarian who's going to whip a bunch of kids into shape, which makes me think that Robert Sala would have the inside track. Now I ask you this, how important is this game? You mentioned Stefanski and Sala. They're literally playing against each other in this yeah. game. Yeah. How important is this game in determining uh, what the Browns do. Yeah, it's important. I mean, well, I, I, you'd hope it wouldn't be right for, but for a team like the Browns, it sure is probably hell is important, right? I mean, like one game sample should not determine it, but um, yeah. You would, so you would, you would hire Stefanski. I would guess because of the offensive side of the ball. And I think I would, it's tough. I would probably lean that way too. Yeah. Not knowing not knowing much about Stefanski's personality. Yeah. I, I do wonder so, though, if what if Sala was able to bring a, a younger disciple of the San Francisco offense? No, it, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good point. Um, I, th- an issue that an issue that's come up, right. Is this whole, and, and so, uh, yeah, 
I, the issue that is, is if he brings a young disciple and the guy's great, right? Which is a non-trivial fa- opportunity because Baker Mayfield's pretty good. They have good weapons. I'm assuming that a new coach is probably going to be able to keep Odell around for another year, Jarvis around for another year, maybe not Ninjoku, but th- that's a pretty talented offense. So, like, there's a really good chance that the, whoever comes in and becomes the Browns' offensive mind has a really good start, right? And then that person's already gone because we've seen Stefanski's been an offensive coordinator for carry the two 20 games. Right. And like now he's, you know, now he's, uh, you know, considered a head coaching candidate. Um, he was even considered a head coaching candidate last year after three games. So um, that's always the risk. Right. And so that's probably why I would take Stefanski just right away. But there are a lot of reasons why the league, the league, we, the league should also think about, um, Saleh, one of the reasons is like it just another like they've continued to hire basically like there, there's the issue with the Rooney rule. There's an issue with all this kind of thing where, where all these these new head coaches literally look the exact same. So there's also an issue with like, you know, diversity in the league. And as you talked about, he, you know, he's Lebanese and, and that, you know, that's something that like is not trivial as well. And it might be, think you know, in the Browns thought process. It, it would be a win for for all uh, Arabs that Arab Americans that uh, like to work out. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, and I, it's, it's an awkward thing to bring up because you want it. You want, obviously the league, everybody's gonna say, we want to get the best guy, but I I do think like the, these teams, somebody brought that, I think it was Mina Kimes brought this up on Twitter, which is great, which is like, these teams make dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision sometimes. But when it comes to hiring the right guy, we always assume that when it's the white guy that's hired, they made the right choice, right? It's like, that was exactly what I was going to bring up, which is the tough thing for Sala is that just by the nature of where our nation is at, he is, you know, he would be, he would have a shorter leash. So there's like no doubt about it. Right. Um, and you brought up the hot offensive coordinator thing, you know, I think it would be even worse, um, for a guy like Sala, especially, you know, in the, in the middle of the country, like he he is right now in San Francisco, which is probably the best place to be, um, you know, to be a a minority and be in a position to, to have a a place, right. Cause Mm -hmm. you'll be accepted. Um, so it's very interesting. I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do. And I, as much as I hope, it is Sala, you know, and knowing not a ton about Stefanski, I would always lean offensive guy. And that, that probably means right. That Sala stays with San Francisco, which, you know, is a dangerous spot to be in because defense is such a hard thing to predict. Yes. Um, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for him because that Brown's job has proven to be yeah. pretty tough. And if he waits another year and, and, you know, they continue to play well and compete, then he could end up in a better situation perhaps. Yeah. And, and all, and all signs point to that San Francisco setup being pretty stable and pretty awesome, right? Both guy, both the GM and the head coach have six year contracts that they're just halfway through. They appear to have a pretty united philosophy and Saleh building his resume up in another year of that. They've, they've sort of seen, you know, the defense go from being best in the league to kind of average over the second half of the season. They can sort of see some of their warts. They do appear to be a team that would get better in a situation where a lot of teams like that, like, for example, the Browns rested on their laurels saying, oh, let's buy into Freddie Kitchens um, and and not move a whole lot. You know, that's that's uh, you know, that's kind of, um, you know, I think the Niners are better than that, frankly. So it is a good place well, for him. I hope so. Okay, let's talk. I'm nervous. Let's talk quickly. Let's have each 
let's have uh, to sort of a, a snake draft here of the remaining quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay. Oh, you want to do a snake draft? So, so yeah, because yeah. there's eight left, I, and and since you're in Vegas, I think you know you, we flipped the dice, you know, the, the the coin, and you came up ahead. So you get you get first. Okay. Go ahead and, and take take the the fir- the first quarterback that you want that's left in the, the turn hashtag tournament. Oh, man, um, I'm taking Pat Mahomes. I don't think it's uh, it's not really that cool. Well, uh, it's it's it was, interesting, I, right? I do think Russell Wilson um, is very close. Here, here's the deciding factor for me. Pat Mahomes at this point has a little more of the potential for greatness with a little higher floor. Yep. And the reason I think he has a little higher floor, and maybe we just haven't seen this because Russell Wilson has dealt with suboptimal you know, offensive line over there, but Russell Wilson tends to be more of a I'm going to own my own pressure rate guy and take a bunch of sacks. And Mahomes is is more willing to get rid of the ball quickly. Yep. Part of that is the scheme that he's in. Um, so I'm taking Mahomes um, over Wilson. Okay. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with Wilson, and I'm going to go with Lamar. Okay. How close were you to, to flipping Lamar and Wilson or not that close? No, no, no. Uh, not really, and... I was actually relatively close to taking Watson over Lamar at three, but obviously like the last few games, you know, like I, I don't think it's that close, but there part of me wanted to. People are going to get mad about Lamar going third. And I would look at it the other way around, which is Lamar Jackson right now is the, is one of the top three quarterbacks in the left in the NFL playoffs Mm -hmm. a year ago. He was considered the worst, right? Looked horrible against the Chargers. And people were like, what the hell can you even do with this guy? So uh, he's been fantastic this year. And he offers so much from a, what you can do with your offense perspective. The Watson thing is, it seems to me again, to be similar to the difference between um, Mahomes and Wilson, which is like Watson sometimes just torpedoes your chances of winning. Yep. Um. So uh, Watson is the clear cut uh, number four guy for me. And then it gets dicey. Um, It does. Um, It really does. And this is where. (sighs) So Kirk Cousins has played better than than Aaron Rodgers has this year. And so has Ryan Tannehill. But I'm gonna. T- I would take Aaron Rodgers. Okay. I mean that that's not egregious, right? And and you're kind of earning back a little bit of Green Bay Packer Twitter's <laughs> trust right now. Uh, it, well, Mike, make Green sure Bay that you Packers, get that get that on the interesting the Twitter. About that. The Green Bay Packers fans. We were talking about Seattle against the spread. They're, we're going to talk about this game in a second. They're four four and a half point underdogs. So it, it's not incongruent. You know, they could cover and the Packers could win, and they were acting like I was saying they were going to get blown out. Um, but for what it's worth, Russell Wilson went way higher in this draft. I would just take Rodgers over two guys uh, who have a very short sample um, of being good yep. and have not really been good in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Uh, so so now we're at – I'm at six – okay. So this is tricky because I don't want to dig on Jimmy G, but – I do think right now I'm I'm going to go with Cousins and Cousins and Tannehill in that order. That's that's egregious. 
And, and here's my, here's my thing with, here's my, like, so here's a question. Do you, if, if you had the choice of cousins and Jimmy G, which one would you take for one game? Uh, um, yeah. One game right now. Well, supporting cast agnostic. Supporting cast agnostic. I I still have a, a really hard time believing in Kirk Cousins yep. and his his uh, his leadership. <laughs> you know, it's just I I hear him talk in the huddle. I hear you, know, know. you hear his voice crack during his cadence. Like, oh my exactly. god! But I, I I have to say, it's somebody who's who's been at best skeptical of Cousins in his career as yeah. a Minnesota Viking, seeing. Zimmer, who I also know is skeptical of Kirk Cousins in his career as a Viking, hand him the game ball, the whole team rally around him. That's not something if you would have if you would have told me after the Chicago game when they lost 16 six to Chase Daniel that that was going to happen this year. I I felt really like I, I actually for the first time, like felt really good for the guy like I. But at the same time, you know, obviously Jimmy G coming off the knee injury, he had a lot, you know, going against him as well. So all three of these guys are great stories, frankly. Tannehill as well, run out of, you know, Adam Gaze's Dolphins. So um, when I look at Tannehill over Jimmy G, the only, my only reason is right now is, and again, this is not supporting cast agnostic in my choice. It's just like, right. I think that in that offense, he's thrived quite a bit. And, um, you know, I, st- I still think of him as a first round pick. I still think of him as somebody who graded well almost his entire time in Miami, except for this year. And then when they put a perfect situation around him, he's done really well. And so I'm going to give him a little bit of a boost here. This is clearly, there's clearly the second tier or sorry, I guess this third tier. Yep. So if I'm tiering him out, I would say, you know, there's Mahomes Wilson conversation tier one. There's kind of this tier two where you've got Lamar, you've got Deshaun, and you can kind of argue between those two. And then, then there's then this third tier. And I actually don't think there's a big difference between any of these four guys. Um, and I, I believe that the 49ers offense is of those four offenses, the one that I would most want to have. But I think it's very fine to say that Jimmy G, because that's the case, you probably know the least about yeah. in terms of the, the plays that he's going to be able to make. So I can't really argue with that. I hope, though, that when we're having this conversation next week, that he's <laughs> he's still around. To talk yeah, about. yeah, right. And, and that we honestly don't know a lot about him. Right? right. We don't know a lot about Tannehill. We don't, and we know probably even less um, about Jimmy G. So I think it's that's one of the reasons I think you can easily put him last. All three of these guys have a fatal flaw, and the one with Cousins is that, and and so that this is sort of suss this out. The one with Cousins is that he doesn't win big games. The one with Tannehill is he takes way too many sacks. And the one with Jimmy G is he throws a lot of interceptions relative to how good he is. Yep. And the Cousins, I think, is the is the biggest BS, right? Like he can't win big games is really just a function of when he plays big games, the other team is generally better than his team, you know, sure. and they lose. And and the thing with Tannehill, I think, is very real pressure rate. You know, and maybe I'm convincing myself to take Jimmy G, you know, uh, post hoc here. But like, whereas, you know, Jimmy G does produce a decent amount of turnover where he plays for a quarterback as good as he is. And the question then we'll talk about this when we preview the game is if, uh, you know, Minnesota can get that kind of interior pressure that's always given him fits. It's going to it's very, very interesting. It's cool that Jimmy G and Cousins are playing one another. Um we're going to talk about the game soon. Okay. Uh, uh, let's, let's put off the college football national championship until the Sunday pod. Cause that game's on Monday. We don't need to that's talk a good about call. that. That's a good call. Um, I'm excited to watch it though. Yeah. 
Let's read a, let's read a couple mean tweets. Here, fourth and nine draw podcast, which I, I don't know how bad your podcast has to be if you're going to YouTube to comment on other podcasts, but alas. Hey nerds, you made up your made up stats don't matter. You can't make up stats for a sport where so many factors are involved. Hurtful. The the Browns had a lot of turmoil within the coaches and front office. What which bleeds onto the field? Where are your stats for that? And I will point to our projection for the Browns preseason wins as where our stats account for that, right? Because we had a new coach, we had regression to the mean. We were very much Browns under this year. So that's that's how I'll respond to that. I just like that he said, hey, nerds. Yeah, I mean, um, I am wearing like a, a grayish flannel right now. So there is like some nerdery here. Um, but you're like, you're basically scraping yourself off the ground in Vegas. How big of a nerd could you be? That's true. That's a good point. Um, um, here's the one that I love. Okay, you, I hope this is the Sony Michelle one. No, you, I'll give you the honor of reading the Sony Michelle Thanks. one. You need to fear me. Uh, seems like I got to report this guy, but all the PFF staff picked the Patriots to win despite the obvious Bucky Brooks called his shot. So we're getting like (laughs) compared to Bucky Brooks. PFF gets it wrong every time. Well, I mean, we're like fourth in pick watch right now. So I actually don't know. Um, Never listen to their moronic picks. And then his last one as a dagger, did the saints win the saints of minus 400 money line on Sunday. uh, So, we're but we're the only ones that pick the favorites to win some games, not you know the entire Patriots are minus two hundred or something like that. So this person clearly gets it. Um, you need to fear him. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to read the Sony Michelle one, but I'm also scrolling through some of the replies to our talk about Seattle Green Bay and uh, the people referring to us as dude on the right and dude on the left. Yeah, is pretty <laughs> sensational. I, I believe I'm on the right. And this guy says, dude on the right is one of those people who is universally disliked even by their own families, which is so, crazy. Cause by all accounts, your family loves you. And my family is a little on the fence about me. <laughs> oh man. I would say that, uh, I would say that any time that you're making judgments about someone, uh, via podcast, uh, with regard to how their families feel about them, especially if you were a Packers fan, is uh (laughs) but uh uh i think your family tends to like you very much as well and uh the funny thing is that you did not get brought up in this so you don't have to worry about it people just think your family loves you uh let me read this one real quick by two rea whatever his name is a joke first sony michelle helped win the super bowl last year you can't give them you can't give all the credit to the qb win uh, when a team wins and none of the blame when they lose the Pats defense allowed 14 points and the goat couldn't score more than that. You guys, especially the MF on the right seem way too biased and not scientific enough. We so, literally, definitely. we literally have a metric that tells him how many wins a guy's worth. Yeah, but no, we, we don't give enough credit to Sony Michelle when they win and we don't take away enough credit. Do, did we give Sony Michelle crap for not, converting any of those runs inside the five yard line, the first half of that game. I actually don't think we talked about it because it's not Michelle's fault. This is uh, you know, goodwill hunting. It's not your fault, Sony. You're just a running back. 
but I'm just happy to be the guy on the right. You, that really seems. Well, interestingly, really seems they didn't, we didn't put your chair here. I sort of wanted to sit on your side this time and be the guy on the right. Um, just, just, to just to mess, mess with, with all these people. But I wonder, I wonder if it's just that angle that causes your family not to love you. All right, let's, uh, let's roll into some games here. So let's start with um, the first one on Saturday, which is the Sunday night football on Saturday afternoon, Minnesota at San Francisco, the Vikings right now, minus seven, uh, total is at 44. When we talked about this on Monday morning or not, it was only Monday morning. It was actually Sunday night. Uh, I kind of guessed that it would be a little short of seven. And now that it's seven, I'm having to sit there and say, man, the, the Vikings covering seven feels uh, mathematically and um, internally like it might happen. Yeah. Obviously, you know, this is not one we wrote up, but I, I do like I do like Minnesota in this one. I like the fact that they're, they mirror each other uh, as offenses. Um, I like the fact that, you know, Zimmer with the interior pressure that he was able to get on Breeze last week. That's one of you know Garoppolo's weaknesses. Um, a couple things scare me, though, about the Vikings side. One of them is that they still don't have any corners. And while Peyton, I think like didn't take advantage of that in, in for a number of reasons last week, the the saints best, second best wide receiver at only 421 yards this year. That is not true about San Francisco. San Francisco has wide receivers for days, right? Like Dante Pettis is a talented player and he can't get on the field for that team. So that scares me. The other thing that scares me is that San Francisco is coming off for two weeks off or week off and Minnesota has to play on a Saturday after a Sunday, right? So there's so many like, spot related things that I think are in San Francisco's favor. There's also the long travel for the second consecutive week. Um, so I'm a, you know, obviously I do think like this number is way too high. I think if you, you know, even look back to sort of like two year, you know, week one of 2018, the line I believe was six, right. With Minnesota favored. I don't think the two you know strengths of each team have moved this much in the last, you know, two seasons. So, uh, but there are things that make me concerned. So the spot, how it's, I was trying to uh, think about this as well, because I, the difference between these two teams on a neutral field, all things being equal is not a ton, despite how much better the narrative is for the Niners yep. this season because of where they came from. Right. And that is a large reason of why they are viewed as being so great is because they went from, you know, not, not very good at all to first, first place in the NFC by an inch. Yep. Um, I might add. And you think about home field, which they play in Santa Clara. Like they don't even play in San Francisco. And I think the Niner faithful will show up for this one, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that that home field is as strong, you know, as maybe some of the stronger ones in the NFL. Um, And then the rest component is interesting because the Vikings had that advantage over the saints last week. And now, so are we overvaluing that performance because they had rest and now they now they're on the other side. Um, do all of those spot things really add up, including home field to seven points? And my thought is, no, I would make it more of a six, yeah. um, you know, maybe five and a half. The, the Niners to me right now um, are, are a team that is capable of winning close games. And earlier in the season, they were kind of blowing out these bad teams. The Vikings are not a bad team and really they haven't. I mean, what good team have they gone and blown out? 
Yeah, I mean the only the only outlier to this would be the Green Bay game on that Sunday night football That's game. A good team, but That's yeah, good team. but but Green Bay swept Minnesota, right? Including winning a game in Minnesota on Monday night football in a, in a game both teams needed, and the Vikings, you know, just flat out didn't show up, right? So there's always that that part that Minnesota has in them where they can be bad, right? And and sure. And so that that'd be my one concern. The other thing that I think is not trivial at all here is just health. Minnesota, Adam Thielen got injured in practice yesterday. All signs are that he'll go, but that's not encouraging. Brian O'Neill had some issues in the last game. He did come back, um, but San Francisco is getting D Ford back. They're getting likely Kwan Alexander back. They're getting Chukwiski Tart back. The cornerbacks that they had that were going into the end part of the year banged up like Richard Sherman, probably more healthy after the the week off. Uh, you know, there's still issues with their interior, their offensive line, but you know, I think that's a huge thing for San Francisco. A lot. One of the reasons their defense trailed off at the end of the season is that they were playing, you know, the, the, the Atlanta game, I believe they had five or six starters out. Like that's not going to be the case here. And while I do think Minnesota is talented enough and good enough scheme to score in this game, like they're probably going to have to. Um, be as good, if not better uh, on, on Saturday than they were on Sunday against New Orleans. I don't disagree with you. I, I wonder what the matchup, you know, you talk about the, honestly, you could do, you could think of Drew Brees and Jimmy G and how you want to game plan against them. I think pretty similarly, does that, does that help or does that hurt the Vikings though? Because the Niners have just seen this game plan and, you know, ostensibly will be able to prepare for it a little bit better than the saints were able to. Um, And the Niners offense is far more diverse I think than the saints is right now, with the exception of, you know, the Taysom Hill thing, which they probably didn't leverage enough. Um, you know, but the Niners will get Jimmy G on the move a lot more often than Drew Brees will be on the move. And that'll present some problems as well. I think that's a really fascinating matchup to watch. And then you mentioned the corners for the Vikings that the saints were never able to take advantage of that. And I have to believe that Kyle Shanahan is going to put those corners in a compromising position. Whereas on the other side of things, with with the Vikings, there's not as many of those big glaring holes to take advantage of. In fact, the Niners are patching up a few of those with some reinforcements. And so it's almost like the Vikings have to play kind of a perfect game to win. Now, I think that's why covering is, is feasible um, and, and, and more likely than not. But they have to play kind of a perfect game. The Niners just have to take advantage yes. of the deficiencies of their team. Yeah. And we've seen, yeah. So we've seen this song and dance before, right? San Francisco, uh, believe six point favorites against the Rams the other day, right? Or two weeks ago. Right. And like you said, the Rams had to almost play a perfect game to win, but not a perfect game to cover. And you had that Fred Warner interception at the end of the first half. So that kept them. But yeah, I mean, San Francisco at home has not been a covering machine over the last like you know, a bunch of games, uh, you know, the green Bay one, notwithstanding. So I agree with you. I, this will be great, right? We, we thought service. we talked about this on Sunday night, whoever wins this game, it'll still be good for the NFL, <laughs> you know, because the next game will be, you know, Seattle, Seattle, Minnesota, Seattle, green Bay, uh, you know, that those, those two, those two teams facing any one of these teams, that'll be great. I, th- I don't think this game is going to have a lot more intrigue than the AFC games, but I do think San Francisco is a decided favorite for a reason. Let me disagree with you there. The league is going to be praying that San Francisco wins this game. Absolutely praying. Because San Francisco is a matchup, regardless of whether it's Seattle or Green Bay, that is a far bigger draw. 
Sure. Yeah, that's that's true. You, because you do, you know, Minnesota has a good fan base, but it can't compete. I don't think with the West Coast, right. uh, Northern California. Can, it, because if you got if you got Green Bay, um, Minnesota, it would be you know geographically a very small you know segment it, of the yes, country. Yes, right? it would be a great story for the Midwest because that is one of the biggest <laughs> rivalries in football. Yes. But, but no it would be hard to get somebody from the upper upper Northwest to give a crap about it. Seattle, San Francisco would have a similar thing, right? But I do think enough people in the in you know eastern part of the country central part of the country care about that matchup as well because it's been compelling for years so i think that's and a good draw as well green bay san Fr- component yeah and green bay san francisco has been a good rivalry for as long as you know as long as brett Favre's been the quarterback uh, of, of the green bay packers so uh i'm with you all right, let's Ravens. Let's talk about Tennessee. Okay, so this mo- number has moved out to ten, if if I can see this properly, and it's bounced around a little bit. So we've seen Baltimore open at nine and a half, got out a little bit, and then it came back down to like I've seen it at eight and a half, eight, and now we're back out to ten here. So there's certainly to coin the you know to talk about the same thing as last week, two way action on this game. Total on this game forty seven. I kind of want to focus here on. Been waiting to say that phrase all right. Well, I mean. You're in the land of two-way action, so I am. Uh, so, um, and I want to talk about the total for this game actually, because 47 seems a bit low to me. Um, and I understand that both of these teams like to run the football, but and and that's going to suppress the total. I think when you look at it at first blush, but both of these teams are explosive as heck in both the passing game and the running game. So I think we get into a track meet here. I agree with you. And I, I think one of the reasons that this number is where it is, is that the Titans defense is being way overrated because they, they held Tom Brady to yes. know, a couple of scores, which in reality was Tom Brady and the Patriots offense is really bad. Yep. And the Titans defense by every, everything that you look at is an atrocity um, and has been for the latter entire latter part of the season. And to me, they don't, the things that you would need to do in order to, to stymie the Ravens in, in terms of the whole game would be to keep them from scoring early, but they don't present. They're not, they're not a team that gets any pressure. Um, they're not, they're not, no one's stopping the Ravens running game, right? Lamar Jackson has, uh, I think it's 30 runs gaining 10 plus yards before contact. And like the next closest guy has like 15, <laughs> like it, it's a complete joke, right? Like mm-hmm. their run game is so freaking good. Um, it'd be a, you know, it'd be a top half of the league passing game in terms of efficiency, EPA, um, six points added per play, which is crazy. So they're not stopping that. And then they're going to have to score points. So they're going to eventually have to sit there and realize that as great as it looks at the end of the game, when you win, if Derrick Henry has 180 yards, yep. if he has 180 yards and you lose by 20, it's not going to look very good. Yeah. And we've seen in our, our friend listens to the podcast, Evan Silva, was talking about the screens to Derrick Henry. I do think that that's where he can be incorporated, right? Because, yes. you know, on the outside. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not one of those games where you're going to be, be able to play keep away from, from Baltimore because they're, they're a step ahead of you, right? You have to, you know, you, I think you have to zig when they zag, when they zig, when they zag, right? Because they're, they're just simply not going to uh, give you things that, that are predictable on, on the defensive side of the ball. And so, yeah, you have to look and you have to look at this defense and, you know, you have to look at the fact that LJ Fort has had a good season, but as far as their, you know, entirety of the defense is concerned, he's a weakness. And you look at their front seven, right? They're, they're not 
as strong, you know, which means they have to bring a lot of zero blitzes and what can kill a zero blitz? Well, uh, you know, AJ Brown giving, you know, giving the business to Marcus Peters and then getting 70 yards after the catch. So I think Tennessee, if they're smart, knows they have to throw the football here. And um, while we're enticed by how great, you know, Derrick Henry looks as a runner, I don't think he plays as big of a part in this game as everybody thinks. Certainly not. The person that is going to have to play a, a big part in this game and, this is with respect to the spread here because there's, I think there's a reason particularly at 10 to think about the Titans as an underdog Yep. and the worry for me. And you brought this up last week uh, about Ryan Tannehill. Look, when he throws the ball, he's been great. He's been fantastic off of play action. The Titans have leveraged it a ton. Um, I believe he's making the, the highest percentage of positively graded throws from a clean pocket this year. He's been fantastic, but the place that he really suffers is that he takes more sacks uh, than any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Nearly one third of the time that he's under pressure, he just goes down. And the Ravens defense has been sensational at generating pressure. Their scheme has been sensational, right? You wrote about this um, uh, last week and people should go read it if they didn't, but they, they are going to get pressure on Ryan Tannehill, right? And so if he gets sacked one of every three times, he's under pressure like that. That to me is the way this game, if I'm betting uh, the Titans plus 10, that's the big worry for me. Am I wrong? No, <laughs> that's why that's why I'm sitting here scared. I can see why there'd be value on it, but I can also see Ryan Tannehill taking eight sacks in this game. Right, and, and the last two time these two teams met, I believe Mariota took 11 sacks. It was one of those things where, you know, it, it, it just couldn't, he couldn't escape. And I, and I, th- I agree. And I, so that means if you're the Titans, you have to be efficient on early downs, which means you have to throw on early downs. You have to run play action and move your quarterback. Uh, which I think they can because I don't think the edge players for Baltimore are particularly not their strongest suit. And on the outside, you have to win battles. And A.J. Brown has shown us that he can win battles. Marcus Peters, who's been great this year, a great addition, a really brilliant trade for them. But he can be had. We saw, we've seen that during his Kansas City days. He gives as good as he gets. And, and you know, Corey Davis and the tight ends have to make plays. Tajay Sharps actually had a pretty good last few weeks. They those all those guys have to make plays on the outside and then they have to be explode. They have to yards after the catch, you know, because I agree with you. I think if they want to run, run, have Tannehill drop back straight on third downs, they're screwed. That That's not going to happen. That's not going to be successful. And to Arthur Smith's credit and, and the, and the Titans credit, that's not really how they've approached these games. And, and, and so I do think that they show out on offense a little bit better, um, but to the Baltimore side, and, and we wrote up this, I, I think Baltimore is going to have an absolute, you know, they're going to score more than 30 points in this game. I just, I cannot see them a taking the Titans uh, lightly, right? We saw Kansas city take the Titans lightly and lost, right? We saw the Patriots take the Titans lightly and lost. Um, There's, I think in no way, shape or form does Baltimore hold anything back here uh, and try to play for the AFC title game. I think they, I think they try to blow out Tennessee and as such, I think they try to score a lot of points. The, the, The idea that Baltimore wouldn't try to blow out. They've tried to blow everyone out. Exactly. That, yep. that is what that has been their MO this season. And so they're going to do that. And even if they run the ball a ton, that doesn't slow them down as, as we mentioned before, right? They're just that efficient because of Lamar Jackson. Yep. So they could easily go 
they could easily go over 30 um, by sort of playing, you know, by, by running a ton, whereas the Titans can't do that, as you mentioned. And the good thing the Titans have is that they established the run last week. With Henry. Yeah. So they hope, you know, if they realize that and they don't come out and, and feel the need to do that, they could actually get some, you know, make some hay early in the game on early downs, which they would need to do. So I'm with you. I, I would personally rather go, uh, you know, with a Ravens total or look at the whole game total than I would with uh, the spread. But I, I just want to know real quick, if it's nine and a half and if it's 10, do, does that half point cause you to move one way or the other? And if you had to take one side, which one would you take? I think at 10, I'm taking Tennessee. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel great about it. Uh, I don't love it. Um, but we've doubted Tennessee a lot this year. And, you know, they are a team that I think is formidable on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but yeah, the play here for me, I, I think is over. Uh, you can even buy down to 46 and a half. I, I just, you know, and, and the, and the Ravens team total, which is what we wrote up. Um, because of the, of the, of the things in this game that I think are true and I kind of know are true. Baltimore is great offensively. Tennessee is not great defensively, uh, despite what happened. And I think those two things merge together and give Baltimore a, a pretty high scoring game for them. The taking the Titans plus 10 would make me feel similarly to waking up on four and a half hours of sleep <laughs> in Las Vegas, which the is pit of misery. It, yeah. It's a pit of misery, but at least, you know, you're alive. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and that's yeah. the thing. And I, and this is another game. And like, we talk about this a little bit um, where live, you know, so we talked about actually the, the Titans Patriots live betting. Right. And I think that you can pretty much tell early in a game, like last week's game, Titans versus uh, new England. You can tell early in the game, whether the Titans are going to be in the game with the Patriots or it's going to be another Los Angeles chargers game. Right. And, and I think the same thing's true here. Like I don't, I don't think the Titans sneak up on the rate. It's either a slugfest from the beginning or the Ravens win 35 zero. Right. I, I, so this might be a game where live betting is maybe more profitable than pregame betting. You got me excited. Okay. Houston, Kansas city. We have a couple of really good, um, uh, quarterback matchups on Sunday, Houston, Kansas city, Kansas city is a nine and a half point, uh, favorite total is at 51, nine and a half feels feels high for a Deshaun Watson, right? Like yep. Deshaun Watson being a nine and a half point underdog, given everything we know about Deshaun Watson seems ludicrous. It also seems a little ludicrous that, you know, the Texans beat the chiefs earlier this season. The thing that I, that I then come back to is that game that was probably the low point for the chiefs in terms yep. of Pat Mahomes had just injured his ankle the week before clearly did not look good um, and was, was definitely hurt. And they got terribly unlucky with the end of the half situation that the Texans ended up having to convert a fourth down. Kudos to Bill O'Brien for that. But that game was fluky as hell. So now I can come back to the chiefs being nine and a half point favorites. What is your thought? Yeah. And you even look at that, that first drive of the game, Houston versus Kansas city, Kansas city, I believe had to actually gain 120 total yards to score. Because they had like a holding penalty, an offensive pass interference penalty, all that kind of stuff. They, I, I, extremely fluky. This is another game, and I and I want to see your opinion on this. Do is the public probably not given the where the lines are, but is the public going to chase Houston's defense the way that they're probably chasing Tennessee's defense after last week? 
I have, I have the, the opposite opinion, which is that I, I believe that people are talking way more about the Kansas city defense and that that is really the reason that this is nine, nine and a half and maybe not. Right. And we wrote about the we wrote about this on the art on the on the website. Kansas City fundamentally say. is a better defense, but is it going to matter? I'm more asking because like Houston held the uh, the Buffalo Bills to 19 points the other game, right? And they they've well, had did, did they did they hold the Buffalo Bills to 19 points, or did the Buffalo Bills hold themselves to 19 points? Well, that's Buffalo well, Bills settled for field goals left and right, and we know fundamentally, like I don't think. I don't think the story coming out of that game in in any place, whether it be, you know, a, a sports book or like a sports center was, oh, the Texans defense was fantastic. It was all about Deshaun Watson. Sure. And they, but, but you look at like some of the things against Jameis Winston on that Saturday, you know, their defense got a bunch of interceptions. Right. And it, it, like and then the week prior when they beat the Titans on the road, they got a bunch of, like Houston, I think, has been locking into a lot of things defensively over the past month. They didn't really try to play against Tennessee in the second game. And so, like, when I see something like that, I see, OK, Houston's like a bottom. They're the worst team in the NFL right now that's left in the in the playoffs against play action. Kansas City. One of the best teams. I think they run play action more than they run the football on early downs, at least. Like, like I just think this is such a mismatch between Andy Reid and Romeo Cornell, the, the head coach that preceded uh, Reid in Kansas City. That I, I just, I can't, I can't see bet, betting Houston side unless you really believe in a comeback. You know, like a full game, great game out of Deshaun Watson with Will Fuller possibly playing again. Will Fuller question is very interesting. If he plays. You know, if you have Will Fuller, you just try and imagine, you try and fast forward to Sunday afternoon and it's like, okay, say, say that the chiefs are up by 14. Yep. You just feel like Deshaun Watson is going to somehow will his way, you know, th- through the back door. Like that's, that's my worry with this one is that I, as good as the chiefs defense has played, we know mathematically that's more a function of the offenses that they played. And even though they're not a catastrophe, it doesn't matter, right? Like the, the two best defenses in the NFL were the the Patriots and the Niners. And both of those teams got trounced by other good offenses, right? Like the Saints put up 40 plus, the Ravens ran all over um, and through the Patriots defense. So that would worry me very little. What would worry me a ton is that both of these quarterbacks are guys that I would want to start a franchise with. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is that they're never dead. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, so my, my only pushback to that, to that last point is I think there's so many more question marks to the game to game play that is Deshaun Watson. And there are very little, I, I think our friend Ben Baldwin posted the article about Mahomes is like EPA per game per, per, you know, per play over the course of his career. And he rarely has bad games. If not, I think the Colts game is like literally his only bad game of his career. Whereas Watson, we've seen the Tampa Bay game was bad. You know, the, obviously the first half of last week was bad. And so the the only question mark I have is, is the Chiefs defense good enough to keep a double digit spread from being covered? Right. Um, because, you know, it's not about winning the game so much for Kansas City here on the betting market. It's actually, you know, to win by multiple scores. And so that for that reason, I sort of lay off this on the spread if i had to pick i'd probably lean kansas city but uh not something i would play 
51 is the total though. That's, I don't know. I mean, it depends upon it. Honest to God, it depends upon Will Fuller playing, whether I like that over or uh, I possibly consider going under that. I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I see no reason why there wouldn't be a bunch of points scored on both sides. This is where you can take advantage of the chiefs defense being overvalued. And if you can find out, you know, if you, if you feel like Will Fuller's going to play, I, I got to think that they're, they're going to give them a shot to play here, right? I mean, they're at least going to trot them out there for a yeah. couple of plays. What really frustrates me, and maybe they've learned this lesson, though, um, in the last game is, Will Fuller isn't the only player in your team like legally allowed to run downfield. You could actually, just maybe, just <laughs> once, just to see how it feels, throw like another wide receiver and have him run downfield, you know? Like, and sort of like an, another, and also a message for the Eagles, frankly. Yes. The Eagles Watson. have way less talent, right? I mean, we haven't even talked about DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, if, you were, if we did a snake draft with wide receivers, right, that maybe the top two that you would take in this game, are, or not in this game, in the playoffs, are in this game, right? DeAndre Hopkins and Tyreek Hill. So it, th- those two are very interesting because the, the Texans certainly won't be able to cover Tyreek Hill. Do you think the Chiefs are in any way, shape, or form capable of stopping um, DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, stopping, no, but no. S- stopping, no, but slowing, yes. I mean, they—they they, do think they can slow down. They, I, in the in their previous matchup, they did a fairly. I know Trevarius Ward got an interception on a pass, to, you know, intended for Hopkins. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to. You know, they're going to completely shut him down. Um, you know, in that first game, he had nine catches for 55 yards on 12 targets, right? Like it's, you know, it, and Watson wasn't brilliant at that game. It was freaking Carlos Hyde and, and, you know, Watson as a runner that really destroyed Kansas city in that game. So I don't know if, if, if I'm Kansas city, I'm worried about the same thing happening in this game as happened in the last game, which is you're not efficient offensively. You don't maximize your possessions and Houston gets a little bit going it efficiently on early downs Watson throwing the ball to Hopkins, but not like over the top. And then also like the running game, just kind of controlling the game. And I, I, I think that that's going to come back and bite Bill O'Brien in the, in the butt because he's going to see that first game and say, well, running was the key, right? <laughs> when it's, you know, obviously mm-hmm. it's sort of something that can, you know, you know, uh, you know, push, you know, push the knife in as opposed to being the catalyst there. But like, but there is a chance that like they get up a couple scores and Kansas city just simply can't come back because their front seven is pretty soft. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. It's hard for me to imagine a world where Deshaun Watson just gets, gets blown out. But I, I, I'm with you. I would probably, if I had to take one side of the spread at nine and a half, I would, you know, I'd probably go Houston, even if we're at nine. Yep. Like, it's tough. Andy Reed off Man. of a, Andy Reed off of a buy is just a different, different guy, it's a different animal. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I would not, willingly wanted to bet the spread in this game um and i think i would probably look to be over there's a walrus there was a walrus joke that that you avoided making but that i I missed yeah look it's like i said i'm on a few hours of sleep here you said Um, ludicrous a couple times without referring to his luda uh (laughs) there was a ludicrous song that was played last night um that is the extent of my understanding okay the um the sunday night game on fox seattle green bay right now it looks like you can actually get Green Bay or not get Green Bay, but you will find Green Bay as a four and a half point favorite in some places, four in others. At four, four and a half, this would both be 
well, in line with what we talked about Monday, which is that it probably shouldn't be that. It really probably shouldn't be over three. Yep. Do you feel any differently? Have no. You, have you wavered in any way, shape, or form? No, I mean, Green Bay is getting healthier, but I don't think they have the players that, you know, I, I don't think that it's that they have good enough players for the whole thing of like, well, they're, the same argument you make about San Francisco, oh, X, Y, and Z is getting healthy, so this is a plus. For Green Bay, like, what does that even mean, right? Like, uh, Marquez Valdez Scandling is getting healthy. Oh, great. Like, who cares, right? So, yes. Um, I, I like, I like Seattle, this number. I think that they are, um, you know, they're not the better team in, in a lot of ways, but we talked about this the other day. The defenses aren't all that different. Both are kind of bad. Offensive lines for both teams are kind of a wash. Green Bay is a little bit better. Wilson's a lot better than Rodgers, and the receivers for Saddle are way better than the Green Bay receivers. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, I think the offensive line comparison is a little harsh on Green Bay. Give, but but that matters way less than people want to give it credit for. Um, you know, they want to, they want the offensive line to be this huge um, dictator of, of how the game ends up. But really, you know, is, is Aaron Rodgers going to try and play hero ball and hold on to the ball forever? Or is he going to be willing to take, you know, quick throws that are schemed up if they are schemed up? Um, because he, from a clean pocket this year, he has been below average, which blows my mind. He is making yep. positively graded plays almost 15% less frequently than he did back in 2011. He was amazing. And that is below the league average again this year. So he's doing the things that you would expect from Aaron Rodgers, which is to win from a clean pocket at a very high rate. And then to make plays that you go, man, no other quarterback's going to make those plays consistently. And he just hasn't done those two things. So the, the, the gap there between he and Wilson and just the, the offensive firepower that they have, right? Wilson has Tyler Lockett. And now, you know, DK Metcalf is a guy that can, he, he's got that like Will Fuller, you know, stretch the field, make big deep play, you know, catch deep passes. That's so valuable in these games where uh, you, you only get, you know, you only get 12 drives, right? And one of those big plays can turn one of those drives into success very quickly. Whereas with the Packers, they just don't have that ability from an offensive standpoint. So right. um, to, to me, this is the, the bet that if I had to make one bet this week, it would be Seattle plus four and a half plus four. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. And I, I, I think the, the choice for the, the pick of the week is not particularly hard. Um, yes, I think uh, we go. Here, here's another thing. Here's another thing um, about this that I think is underrated. Seattle last, last week controlled the game from beginning to end. And despite that, they still passed the football far more than they ran the football. And I think that, I think that this sounds pretty, you know, this is going to sound stupid, but I think the injuries to their running back, are going to make them more efficient offensively. <laughs> and interesting. And I, I, you know, they're, they're not going to be, you know, they might still try, but like the fact no. is they, they were, they were dropping back to throw a significant amount of time the other day, average more than 10 yards per pass attempt. Metcalf, obviously, you know, almost 20 yards a target. The, I, I don't think that they're going all the, a lot of the things that we're worried about with Seattle, which is they're going to try to grind the game out. Uh, I think go away a little bit when, you know, Travis Homer and, you know, bless him, but Marshawn Lynch are the running backs. I think that they're going to lean more on their strengths. And I, I hope that last week is a harbinger for things to come at least, you know at least on Sunday. 
you know why I, I, I love that idea is because what have we heard about this week from Pete Carroll? You're going to see more Marshawn Lynch. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like you're setting up, you're establishing the run yeah. right now because you really don't want to run the ball in the game. They were of the wild card teams, the teams that play on wild card weekend. They had the worst rushing offense, but by a large margin, like the worst. And it was okay. And it was okay. And it didn't matter. You know why? Because they had the best passing offense yeah. in terms of yards per drop back and expected points added per drop back. And then they, you know, so if those things, if they start to lighten, you know, to understand that actually we just need to leverage our best asset and not kill ourselves by continually running on second and long, man, you're right. I, I do like that. Here's the thing. If I'm thinking about Sunday night and me crying in a puddle of my own tears and getting ruined by every Packers fan on Twitter, um, the reason for that would be what? Uh, Rodgers has just a game. Oh, so brilliant game. The Seahawks get injured in the secondary. Devon okay. uh, and Aaron Jones. Well, and and Rodgers plays extremely well. Makes a couple throws like he did against Kansas City, where we're just like hard to beat that. And then yep. Aaron Jones in the passing game has his way with Wagner and uh, and KJ Wright, who have who have given up over thirteen hundred yards receiving this season combined. Interesting. Okay, so so I'm not I'm not bullish on it, but that's that could happen. I like that. For the record, I really hope that Aaron Rodgers plays well. I love watching great quarterback play. I love Aaron Rodgers, and I want him to to play well. That being said, I'm looking. I'm just using what the data um, has told us about his play this year. I think it's the other side. So I think even if Aaron Rodgers has a a really good game, that it's it's all about what the what happens to the, the Seahawks and what could happen to the Seahawks is the Green Bay Packers have great pass rushers. Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, and then Zedaria Smith, who leads the entire NFL, the only guy over 90 pressures this season. Yep. If they just eat the Seahawks pass protection alive and Russell Wilson has no shot in hell, that to me is what would derail this. Like even if Aaron Rodgers plays the way Aaron Rodgers has played all season, if Aaron, if if the um, Packers defensive line just wins that massively, that would be the way that I see um, myself drowning in in a puddle of tears on Sunday night. That being said, I will take Russell Wilson, the better quarterback, getting points in Green Bay. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that's going to be I think that's going to be it. Lock of the week. Yep. Let's, um, let's do it. Let's close this because I know you, you have some things to do today. Let's close this with my uh, my Cincinnati wise story. So I'm excited for this. So you were gone. You were gone yesterday as well. Yep. And so I walked to the. I happened to walk to the gym with Neil, uh, my boss, okay. our boss, and we walked in. And you know how when you walk into the locker room, you immediately see the steam room and the sauna, right? Mm-hmm. And the and it just sort of hits you like a ton of bricks. And so yesterday, yesterday there was a person who was particularly comfortable in there in the steam room. No, just sitting there squared up, no towel. And also had probably just had the steam room turned off. So there wasn't enough steam to sort of mask what was happening here. My hands moving, Mike, you probably want to get this. Um, and so I was talking and I'm minding my own damn business talking to Neil and 
I turn the corner and that's the first thing I see in, in the Cincinnati Y. And, and I, and I, and I, I don't understand. I, I, I tried to like be like, Neil, what the fuck, you know, what the heck is this? Right. And Neil, like Neil, like didn't uh, fundamentally didn't notice. So it was, it was sort of an interesting, but awkward situation. And it was, I think peak Cincinnati Y, but also, uh, you know, a, a story to be had, I guess. <laughs> so when you tell these stories, I'm like, you, I, you can see it, right? Cause you've been there. I can just, I can just, I feel like I'm there. Like, I think anyone, there are, there are far more gyms in America that are like this than are like, you know, really nice and swanky. So I feel like people, every, everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. And has had that same, that same feeling. It's weird to me that there are guys that just, they just don't get it. Right. Well, and, and here's the other thing. All congregate in men's locker rooms. Here's the other thing. Does he want to die? Because I don't know. You've been in that steam room before. They blow the steam literally up through your your behind, right? Yeah. So like, I have yeah. I go in there and I used to wear like you know a towel or whatever. I wear two pairs of shorts in there so I don't get my hamstrings burned off. Yeah. So like, does he just does this guy just is he just taking a blowtorch to his to his it, thing it, or like what is going on here? Deprivation. You should ask him. I actually, I did. I, I have zero desire to ever talk to that person and interviews from the Cincy. Why could be a segment. I have negative desire to talk to the guy who works in a towel from the leather couch next to the TV as you walk into, but you know, I'll ask. I'm going to go try and, um, and get, and get a story that is worth telling from the, the, the Vegas. Hotel. Y. Yeah. The Vegas. Why here? The, the best thing that I have from, from yesterday was that there was a lady that, uh, appeared to be trying to, to climb Mount Everest uh, at a very slow pace on a treadmill yesterday nice. for, uh, for an hour. But that, that isn't worth, that is nowhere near the story that you've got. So I'm going to try to go procure one. Hopefully I can come back on Sunday night. A good story. And uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be back. Anything, there's nothing else we got to cover, right? That's it. That's it, man. All right, brother. I'll see you soon. Peace All right. Out. Take care.